Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Jill Francisco, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Sipp. And we are super duper excited to have an awesome guest with us today where we're going to learn some things from him and we're going to have hopefully some great conversations about some very important topics. So I'm going to let co-host Tony take it away. Thank you, Jill. And hello, folks. Welcome back. It's my pleasure to introduce our esteemed guest, Al De La Cruz. With an illustrious career spanning over 25 years, Al is a renowned legal expert in the field of employment law. As the leader of the employment law team for Manning and Cass, he provides valuable counsel and a diverse range of clients in both the private and public sectors. Al's impressive track record has earned him numerous accolades and recognitions. Fortune magazine has identified him as a top-rated lawyer in labor and employment law, while San Diego Magazine has honored him as one of the top lawyers in San Diego. In 2014, he was distinguished as one of the top 10 employment lawyers in San Diego. His outstanding legal prowess has also been recognized by his peers, as he has been named a San Diego super lawyer from 2013 to 2017. Without further ado, please welcome Mr. Al De La Cruz. Hello, how are you? Good to see you both. Great to talk with you. I'm looking forward to today's session. Thank you so much. Thanks. And let's just all, let's just already get it out there that you have like the super coolest name. Like let's just <laughs> let's just let's just say let's just say that. Love it. I mean, I feel like you're on a tropical island somewhere. I don't know what you're doing, but it sounds super fun. In addition to all your wonderful credentials and experience, top-notch name. <laughs> Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate oh, it. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I didn't know the um, the employment back, employment law background. I've been a paralegal for 27 years, but here in the past, oh, I don't know, three, four years, maybe probably since COVID, I started doing some employment law. So I'm always excited to learn something when I hear somebody has experience in the employment law because it's not where all my experience lies. So awesome. Good. Great. Well, looking forward to the discussion. It's a great uh, topic and I'm uh, happy to discuss what is fairly controversial at times and also a lot of fun when you start looking at some of the details behind the, the science. True, very true. All right, well, Tony's going to lead us off. Sure, sure. So we're going to jump in. Today's topic is going to be about implicit bias. And Al is an expert. I, I've heard him speak on this topic and he's excellent. So Al, what is implicit bias and how does it differ from explicit bias? A great question. What we find with implicit bias is it has a number of different names and depending upon really how you're approaching it and what label you give to it, it affects kind of the thinking behind it. So it's been referred to as unconscious bias, implicit bias. It has a number of different references to subconscious bias. At the end of the day, it's just how we deal with interacting with each other and how we do it in a fashion that is more intuitive rather than contemplative. It's how we address things on a very quick basis to evaluate circumstances, uh, both flight and flight, whether it's uh, figuring out what to do in our life. It's a way of humanistically trying to quickly deal with issues that come before us. I like how when you, we like we like to lay this topic out because I don't care how many times that you hear it, 
I think you always learn something different, whether it's from the speaker or you're, you know, you have a different level of, of learning because you've heard it before and, you know, you're working your way through it and, and improving on different things. And then you hear something that clicks with you and, you know, it kind of makes things clearer. And I, I like that we're getting this on the podcast today, which as you know, our, our audiences, paralegals and, and other legal professionals, because I think that it's important that, you know, we tie in, I mean, we're in the law office, we're in different settings, but, you know, we're paralegals are put in the situation a lot of times. Right. And it really helps that you're given some pointers. And, you know, we're going to talk about today, you know, how to handle and, you know, even recognize, you know, whatever you can do from any level to, you know, improve and just be, you know, conscious, like you said, of this and not, you know, deal with it in a negative or, you know, which that you don't even mean to, but in a, in a not, right. not great manner. Exactly. There's so much involving this topic. And one of the things that I find whenever I talk on this issue is the highlight or the uh, emphasis that people have with regard to the idea of bias. Mm-hmm. Because historically, we viewed bias as a completely negative connotation when really what we're talking about is differentiation. Unfortunately, historically, we've had some very bad examples and bad behavior yeah. that stems from that. As a result, the bias portion of it loses its academic meaning and turns into more of a, a discrimination type of aspect, which we, of course, want to always mitigate and avoid. That's a good way to describe that. <laughs> That's a great point. What are some of the common types of implicit bias and, and like how do they tend to manifest themselves in different settings? We're in the legal field, but implicit bias applies to every field. Anything that you've noticed or seen that um, comes up, you know, in your practice? Well, it's a, a matter of kind of dealing with the fact that people do make snap decisions. That's ultimately right. what this unconscious or hidden bias is. It's we make snap decisions based upon what we see and experience. And we can do so even without really realizing it. And that's where it can be problematic. And in my role as an employment lawyer, when it comes to, for example, claims of discrimination, I want to get a sense of why someone has made a decision. What is it about mm-hmm. the circumstances that led them to that conclusion? Oftentimes, you can see that once you really dig a little deeper, you find out that there may have been some immediate reaction, but once people can kind of get their feet under them, they realize, oh, that's probably not appropriate, or I shouldn't be viewing it that way. And it's helpful just to try to make sure that the workplace is fair, life is fair, as much as possible, given the amazing diversity we have within, for example, here in California. Right. There's, I went to the ABA website just to you know do a little bit of research, and uh, one of the stats that they provided was that uh, people of color make up 30% of the population and yet 60% of prisoners, uh, which is what outrageous, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, when I heard uh. it too, I, I stopped and paused for a second. But I mean, it's it has a great impact on our society. And, you know, I, I know Elle's been doing a lot of great work on this and educating people. But, you know, I, like you said, that it does are kind of our instinctual, I mean, Al, I'm not, I'm misquoting you right now, but a lot of that discernment that we do makes us smarter, but at the same time, it shows our vulnerabilities as well. And we need to like slow down and realize that this is what's going on and, you know, see it from a different perspective. No doubt. In the criminal justice system, it's been, you know, a long time coming where people start viewing that system and manner that allows for more of a, a colorblind approach. Unfortunately, historically, we have come up with these uh, 
issues with regard to what are effectively heuristics. They're rules of thumb that we tend to apply, and unfortunately, they get applied oftentimes in an unfair fashion. So absent recognizing that and trying to do something to temper that, you are going to have results that aren't really appropriate for the circumstance, but rather reflect what are biases that we bring with us from childhood onward to adulthood. Yeah. And sadly, I was just going to say, I think, and a lot of those are learned. Like you said, that's what, it's what you've just seen. And then you come a time where you start learning like, okay, I shouldn't be looking at X, Y, Z this way, or I shouldn't be. And that's where I find that, you know, like paralegal, I was a past president of NALA and I kind of brought DEI, I, I thought it was important and I thought Nala needed to be looking at it and I thought we should have a committee and just, you know, research and focus and be aware and teach and, you know, just like, you know, because sometimes people not knowing is the reason that you know, they just not, they're just not educated about it. It's not that they think one way or the other or no one way or the other. They just don't know at all. And, you know, you bring it to light. And so, um, and I think it's a learning process, but like Tony and I both, I know, I mean, we have different opinions on a lot of things, but I know we're on the same page with, I feel like that we agree that one of the best things that we can do, like you said, in the law office or the many places that paralegals are at is, you know, speak up and share and not, 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 you know, you don't have to announce it to everybody. Maybe you talk to that person, you know, one-on-one when you kind of, you know, or you kind of say, hey, did you ever think about, you know, not looking at it this way, but looking at it this way, because really we should consider, you know, and I feel like that I've done that a couple of times because I feel like that's my job. Like if I care about it and I want to change <laughs> and I want to make it better, that that's what I need to do. No, it's a great point because you need to be conscious of it. Otherwise, how you approach it will vary uh, possibly in a bad way. What you just mentioned, though, is a great illustration of how we then confront that. Yep. Clearly, we would like to have our decisions made on merit rather than anything improper, whether it be race, gender, et cetera. What we can do by using this, uh, I guess, methodology is to convey in an appropriate manner to let people know, you know, you're really coming from an odd position here. I think you might be making a decision without giving due regard to all the circumstances. You're, you're yep. making a snap judgment and how you approach that, I think, is so important to, to get buy-in. It can be confrontational. Lawyers are by nature confrontational. <laughs> and so it, it can be something that is, for that reason, not all well-received. But if you approach it from the point of view of, hey, there's a better way of doing this. Can we give this some consideration? And bringing that perspective that you have really helps that uh, discussion. I feel like you just have to speak up and you, like I said, be, be, you know, thoughtful in your wording, you know, kind, you know, whatever kind and considerate and and everything like we should be to each other. But I think the key is you just, you got to speak up. And that you have to have the intent. You you want things to be fair and equal. You don't want to be perceived as somebody who's prejudiced or biased about anything. So just again, slow down, listen, (laughs) you know, you know yourself well enough, but if somebody's giving you constructive criticism, listen, Um, there might be something to that as well. So Al, I I was going to do it in the next segment, but I I know that you already know about the Law 360 article uh, regarding Manning and Cass and the DEI. Um, Maybe you can talk to us about how we can foster a more inclusive and equitable environment that actively works to combat implicit biases. Thank you. That's a, something we're very proud of, uh, proud of as a firm, proud of the, the result, or and also proud of, of course, the recognition. Uh, but we've always taken the position that you just look for quality people and you align with their values. And if you do that, those issues largely sort themselves out, 
But it has to be with an open mind so that you do have uh, a helpful and fostering environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, why don't we, before we get into something, why don't we take a quick break and then we will be right back with continuing our conversation with Mr. De La Cruz. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Jill Francisco with my co-host Tony Sip, and we have Al De La Cruz here joining us today. And we were just kind of wrapping up um, our discussion um, with there's a Law 360 article out. And um, Al, I didn't know if you want to maybe tell the uh, our listeners a little bit more details about that, and then maybe also if they're interested in reading it, checking it out, where they can find it easily. Yes, it's a great article uh, in terms of just what Law 360 does to try to highlight some of these issues. And in this instance, uh, our firm was identified as a firm that is committed and showing actual results regarding DEI. It's clearly an important part of what we need to do as a community, uh, especially within the legal community, because this historically has been disproportionately underrepresented. So that change is important to us all. I think that's a part of what we need to do within society. And so, again, we're very pleased to have that uh, recognition. Awesome. Awesome. What are the potential consequences of implicit bias in areas such as employment, education, the criminal justice, our legal field? Well, it covers all those areas. In fact, we haven't touched upon education at all yet, but historically Mm -hmm. education has been a big area where these biases have had unintended consequences, both negative and positive. You know, there are places where people are perceived in a particular manner and then given favorable treatment, unbeknownst to even the, the actor, the person giving that treatment. It's just how they respond. It's not like the intentional type of bias. and Therefore, it has effects with teaching, with education, how teachers perceive various student populations. It also affects whether people are socially, economically disadvantaged. If you have someone who doesn't have those resources, there's almost a presumption that they aren't able to then achieve as well when mentality and intellect aren't financially related. It's just access and opportunity and, of course, solid education. So that's clearly an important part of what we're trying to improve as a a community. Yeah. And think about when you're talking about opportunities, how many missed opportunities? I mean, like you hear, because you hear, I mean, most of success stories and you hear about how, you know, they, they finally had that one teacher, that one, you know, person in their life or whoever it was that gave them the opportunity. And then they just ran with it. And like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't any, it wasn't their, their ability or their motivation or their commitment or, you know, whatever you want to say on them that they weren't doing these things and weren't moving forward, it was that it just wasn't accessible to them. 
Oh, sure. We, we want to make it as successful as possible. And right. I think just highlighting this issue such that people recognize that it's there will help with that. Because every day, it's something that I know I have to work on. I'll, I'll see something, I'll, I'll realize my first response to it really isn't the best response that I can provide. It, it forces me to actually do that on a daily basis to ensure that I'm not taking something which is my initial snapshot or my initial impression and using that for any type of decision-making or, or something of consequence. To piggy tail off of uh, what Al was saying, I actually took the uh, implicit bias test from Harvard. I don't want to say I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't do well, uh, but I didn't do well. <laughs> it's really, we all have biases. I would like to think, I mean, I believe Jill and I were the first ones to start DEI with our yep. respective associations. And so it's something that we care about and that we highly value and we want to see it improve. So I, I take the test, it, just honestly, Google implicit bias tests, and it'd be the first thing that pops up. So it's it's something worth doing, you know, clicking on those pictures and the results, it's enlightening. No doubt. In fact, I've, I've taken the test as well. I would like to say that I was perfect at it. I wasn't. And I think that <laughs> does show that this implicit portion is something that we just do in a snapshot and it, it gets ahead of us our rational brain. And the way this actually works out is there's two systems we all use. It's a system one and system two. System one is this quick, immediate type of judgment. System two is actually the one that involves more thought. So here we're trying to apply right. both. It's, uh, snap judgments will take over for considered thought. And that's amazing to think that we all would like to believe that we're right there with uh, an enlightened point of view, but reality hits <laughs> us pretty hard. It's so true. It's so well, true. I'll have to take that test and report back. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you'll 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 agree with us. <laughs> well, we well, it's not I mean, even... no, no. I was saying that it's true. Like that's I've I've had a couple of speakers that they have. You know, there's a little. I'm sure I'm sure Al has has the samples too, where you you know ask a couple of questions or you know have a couple of examples, and right. you you go into it thinking, oh, I'm I'm fine. Like I know about it. I'm conscious of it. I, I'm I'm trying to not do it. You know, I'm really giving an effort, and then you're like, oh. You know, <laughs> and, and, and that is why to constantly attend these type of speak, you know, speeches and presentations and learning um, opportunities, because I think that there's something that can always resonate or you clicks in your mind or you think, OK, I get it. Like, I thought I got it, but now I, I'm really getting it. Or, you know, it's like you're gaining more knowledge and you can be better and you have more tools to try to make a better decision. Oh, definitely. There was a, a a little test I did a while back of myself just to sort of check myself on it. I hire a lot of attorneys and I get a lot of resumes. And so I made a point one time of having my assistant take off all of the names and remove anything oh, okay. that references a gender to see how yeah. I did in terms of evaluating candidates based on that. And I, I confess, I, mean, I thought I was going to be right, dialed on equally fair, all of that. But it does seep in and it's just it's an insidious thing. And so you have to recognize it because you can't combat it unless you're willing to acknowledge that it exists. Uh, and once that was revealed, it was uh, very eye opening for me. Wow. It is in enlightening once you start to you know realize what your bias is. But then, you know what, the difference between a lot of people and you is that you do something about it. You know, you want you don't want to be that person. You want to be the person that is, you know, fair, equal and equitable and make sure that people are inclusive and belonging. You want to do the DEI and B, right? Um, so I think that's great. I made the mistake, uh, 2000, I, we had a president who was hearing impaired, or rather deaf and hard of hearing. 
Now, my bias was that I presumed that everybody could hear and read and you know, know what was going on. She couldn't. And she educated me on my bias and I've become better um, because I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. It wasn't in my world. It wasn't something that impacted me at all. But once it did, now I do. Lesson learned. <laughs> Lesson learned. Lesson learned. I will not do that ever again. As long as we're improving, that's the main thing. Exactly. And to that point, um, what are some examples of successful interventions aimed at reducing implicit bias and how can we build upon them? Well, what I do when I speak on this is I try to take it away from something that I think people will automatically want to respond to in a uh, almost a hostile manner. If I show, mm. if it's just, if it's about race or it's about gender orientation, there's things that people then hold on to from their own personal perspective. Whereas if I can show them, here's how this scenario works, whether it's height in terms of payment on success or CEOs, if it's something involving numbers, there's a, an example I use and it, I give everyone two, a piece of paper and I ask them a question. And to show that these factors do affect you, one set of paper will have one number, the other will have a higher number, and I'll ask the age of Mahatma Gandhi. And it's amazing how those who see the higher number automatically skew much higher by as much as 30 years at the time of death versus the one that had a lower number. And this is just, it's not even a number speaking to that issue. It's just a number on the piece of paper, but they see that and suddenly they're keyed on that and that affects their thinking. That type of non-racial, non-gender type of issue then makes it clear that we do have, a, it's a difficult challenge to overcome that because we automatically do it. And that's what makes it hard if you're not going to accept that as the reality. There's a, it's a, a huge way of proving to yourself that, you know, some other non sort of sensitive topic that this is a reality from just a human perspective. Well, the, the ABA does have a toolkit on implicit bias. So I, I, I would suggest people go who are interested in this topic, which all of us should be, to go on uh, the ABA's, ABA, the ABA's website and take a look at that. Um, I, they address those issues with judges, lawyers, anybody of counsel. So that, you know, one, we could recognize it. Even judges, the, the shocking response from the judges uh, was dead on what Al was saying. And they recognize it and they did something about it. So that's good. Not every judge does that. Not every lawyer does that. Not everybody does that. So, I mean, that's why we're having this conversation, because it's uh, meaningful and relevant. Well, and how about Al Tucha? We, we talked a little bit at break, but I think you were saying something about heights that you used a little example and things like, like six, that. I'm interested seven. in that. <laughs> well, there was a study done about CEOs and what the height was. And overall, 58% of CEOs are five feet or excuse me, six feet or higher. Oh, wow. So 58%. Now that's of the overall population. That's about 14 and a half percent. So four to one oh, wow. ratio. Wow. And it just shows you how significant height can be in that factor with nothing else in regard. And it goes even higher with, if you get to six, two and higher, goes to about a 10 to 1 ratio. So height wow. has a factor on people. And it's odd because we don't really view that as, okay, does that make you more intelligent or not? But it has a physical presence, which everyone can visually uh, attend to. And as a result, that demographic just shows you how people will view individuals as having greater leadership or some other tang tangible skill that leads them to a CEO position. And that same type of thing actually then carries into uh, bias as it relates to uh, gender. And that's why we still maintain a gender pay disparity. There's a gender gap that still 
exists in payment, and it's proven time and time again. That's what I was just going to say. I was going to say, and then that height thing obviously translates into, like you said, the gender, because, I mean, women are not going to be, you know, as tall as men traditionally, I don't think. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I'm speaking from your experience. I'm five feet tall because <laughs> listeners cannot see me. But, you know, and then I live with my husband and my my 18-year-old son that's like 6'4". So it's interesting. It, it, it comes in handy to reach things, but, you know... <laughs> Other than that, it, it, but no, seriously, it, that is really, that's something that you wouldn't think about. Like, I mean, I don't know if anybody would, if you were talking about this subject that you would talk about height, but that's just, that's interesting. And of such a, like a, you know, high on the leadership, high on the, you know, in all areas, you know, controlling companies, con- the leaders, the, the people on the, at the top of the scale. And then, like you said, goes into gender, goes into pay, goes into, I mean, it just flows. Like it's just opens up the floodgates almost <laughs> on that, on the other issues that you would encounter. Well, and that goes back to a question that Tony asked originally. What's the difference between implicit versus explicit? And explicit is clearly more in the line of racism or sexism and, and any other types of inappropriate behavior where people just have this preconceived notion. They have, um, whether it's animosity or just a bias that's uh, not really appropriate, you can see those actions and what they do in that regard. It's the implicit portion that people can modify. You just have to recognize it, put some attention on it really try to focus on what is important and in that matter, try to be as fair as possible. But it's a, it's a task. It's a, a daily task. I agree. I agree. But like you said, as long as we're moving forward, moving the right direction, trying, you know, learning, <laughs> I think. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the oldest of the group here. And I recall back, Ooh, this goes back to sixties and seventies and how people behave back in that era and how different it is now here in this millennia, uh, this decade, the world has changed greatly and it's going in the right direction, I believe. But uh, yeah, the, the, the things that happened back in uh, the seventies, for example, what people would say and what was acceptable behavior, amazing, uh, would never fly today. But I think that's a good sign of change. Right, right. Exactly. That's a demonstration. And like you said, going, going the right direction. <laughs> Uh, Let's take another quick break and then we'll come back to wrap up on this very important discussion we've been having today. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time consuming and error prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went... 
to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Jill Francisco and here with Tony Sipp and our guest, Al De La Cruz. And so, Al, I think we want to, um, we we obviously have much to say on this topic. We could talk for hours and you have so much useful information, but how about some, I think you were going to talk about some things that like uh, people can do and people, you know, um, examples and things like that. You're going to just kind of run through some of your hot <laughs> topic issues and things that you've come across. Yes. Well, the, the thing about this topic is it, it's something that people view as a sort of a, a soft science or a fuzzy science. And the reality is the data shows what it shows and people have concerns and issues with subconscious bias. So the first thing I think we have to do is truly understand the issue. And a podcast such as this really helps with that, getting that uh, word out. There's been a lot of popular discussion about this. Uh, there was a great book about this topic involving making decisions fast and slow, a book by Daniel Kahneman, really great treatise on it. But there was also a very um, well-known book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink, which talks about how people make quick decisions. And I think that helped popularize the concept and got us to the point where now we understand if you want to improve on this, you have to try to understand the issue. That's the first step. And if you can do that, that's the first step towards raising your awareness. Wow. That's, that's an important point. It goes to the point of you have to try, you have to want to, you have to have the intent um, to try to make a difference um, in yourself and in others and be that advocate as well. If you see it happening. So Al, can implicit bias be unlearned or mitigated? And if so, how? Well, it can't be unlearned, but it can certainly be mitigated. And that's the idea behind the studies that exist. We're trying to just recognize what it is, because if you're aware of it, great. You understand the issue. You can re- you know, raise this awareness with yourself and others. But also there's a, uh, a great portion of this field where you use it to your advantage. In other words, make your unconscious work fairly by identifying what's going on and recognizing the issue. If you can do that, you're taking big steps towards at least mitigating the effects. And that's one thing that really is a a great way of trying to reduce this. Earlier, I gave the example of the resumes and trying to remove Mm -hmm. names. That's an example of just trying to blind yourself to your triggers. And so if Mm -hmm. there are things that you think might trigger you one way or the other, in the workplace or in just life in general, you want to try to blind yourself to those triggers so that you're acting without regard to those. What you're effectively doing is taking away the data that your brain is going to use to make these snap judgments, uh, these heuristic decisions that are based solely upon a snap of what that moment is. Uh, By doing that, I think you help really reduce this effect in in the workplace and in in what we do every day in in the practice of law. Uh, You know, it's so so important for all of us our role is, is to try to bring justice to the system. And having that insight really does help with that. Kind of ironic, bringing justice to the system and then we're <laughs> <laughs> working the opposite sometimes, not not meaning to. So that's that's interesting. Well, Jill, what you just said, there's a phrase <laughs> that comes to mind for me, which is equal does not equal fair. Right. Uh, it's True. odd because you would tend to think equal is fair. Well, no, equal isn't always fair. And I think that's a, a sensitive topic because we don't like to speak in terms of any type of advantage given to a disadvantaged group. That's something that I think resonates poorly with people. But if you're trying to be equal, that's not necessarily always going to be fair. We should always try to be fair. 
Well, clearly that should give, skew towards trying to be equal, but there's a division there that still we're, we're kind of working through as a society. We're definitely making great steps uh, and strides, but it really does some, something we continue need, continually need to work on. Yeah, like you said, I think it's a, that's a, that is sensitive and maybe it gets people kind of all, you know, riled up right there in the beginning when, when you know, those, those steps are taken. But they need to be, I think, taken, like you said, to get to where it can be fair. Because sometimes you can keep saying, well, they have the same. Well, it's not fair. <laughs> you know, having the same or have, like you said, equal is, is sometimes not fair. And you have to understand that that's two different things there. Very true. Oh, yeah. So, Al, we're wrapping up now. If people want to get in contact with you, whether it be for employment law or anything else, uh, this this topic that we're discussing, where can they reach you? Well, I'm a partner resident with the Manning Cast firm in San Diego. Uh, the, the website is manningcast.com. You can find me through that website as well. There's uh, occasional speaking opportunities that I put out to the community uh, and various industry groups. Those are always available as well. It's a great topic. I enjoy speaking about it. It's something that I think is a, a, a method for improving goodness in the world. So I'm behind it wholeheartedly. And oddly enough, it's a psychology issue and it's bound in a lot of very deep economic functions as well. So those things are truly scientific in nature. There's a lot of great things we can do with that. So we should try to use that psychology for good. To the extent that I get a soapbox, that's what I try to do with it. Well, I'm sure people will definitely reach out to you. Thank you so much, Al. Really appreciate that. And folks, if you're interested in reaching out to Al, um, he's a highly demanded speaker and guest speaker for a lot of conferences and other venues. So please get in contact with him. I'm sure he'll get back in contact with you and, you know, we can have that discussion. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking your time today. I know our listeners are going to, you know, learn from you and may have some other questions. So hopefully they'll definitely reach out or like you said, seek to learn more, to hear again, <laughs> to, you know, learn, learn more deep, deeply on, on a certain subject. Um, but I think this has been a good beginning for those that, you know, haven't thought about it. And I think it gives them a little kind of just look in the mirror type mm. day <laughs> mm. and say, you know, let me see if I, if I'm doing this and if I am, let me try to not do this. Let me try to change. Let me try to at least work towards being um, conscious and not, not having those implicit biases. Jill, Tony, thank you for giving me the, the opportunity to talk about this topic. It's what I enjoy and you've been great uh, helping me through this process. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I'm Jill Francisco and with my co-host Tony Sip, and we hope that uh, you will join us next time on the next episode of the Paralegal Voice. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. 